If you have a Bible, please take it and turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. It's where we were this past Sunday, and uh, it's where we're going to be this Sunday in verses 31 through 39. Easter is a time when preachers like me feel the pressure to do something unique and different. It's a time when many who ignore the church might pay attention to her a little bit more, and so there's this desire to represent the church and to represent Jesus well. In this particular day, as we face the unique challenges of pandemic and quarantine on Easter Sunday itself, there would seem to be even a little bit more pressure to kind of knock one out of the park, especially since Major League Baseball isn't playing any games at the moment. I feel those pressures. I, I feel them this year as I do every year. But every year as this year, I try to remind myself that it's the, that Easter is in fact the time to not say anything new, but rather to simply say the same thing that we always say Sunday in and Sunday out. We just do it with a little bit more attention to joy and while wearing a, a slightly nicer outfit often. The Easter story and the good news it announces never changes, and it's always relevant whether, the, whether there's a pandemic or not. Take, for instance, the introduction to our 2018 Easter sermon. This is what I said that morning. Easter speaks a word into our hearts that nothing else can. It proclaims a message of hope that nothing else in all the world is able to. It announces the death of death as we once knew it, and it calls us into the life of our Creator made us for. We spend this weekend remembering the death, burial, and resurrection because they are for us as human beings and as followers of Jesus the most important events and realities in the universe. The resurrection of Jesus is so significant because the reality of death is so sure and so painful, so unavoidable. The light of Easter shines brightest into hearts that see their darkness and are forced to reckon with the fact that someday something will kill us all. It may be sudden tragedy that rips breath from us, or a disease that slowly debilitates us, or we may go to sleep one night and never wake up. But it's appointed, it is determined for all men and women to die. Do you feel the weight of that for you and for others? All around us are people making plans and pursuing dreams, and very few will fully reckon with death and final judgment. There are those we drive next to and shop beside, whose faces we hardly notice. They are the people we work with each day, the neighbors we wave to as we pull away for the day and return at night, the church family we love and invest in. They are the people we sit around the table with each evening and share our stories and lives with, the friend we could tell anything to, the spouse we sleep beside. The face we look at in the mirror, each of us will die. Our physical bodies will eventually fail, and some few days later, they will be put into the ground or burned to fit into a small urn. And it is that deep, true reality, a reality, a reality we would rather not think about, that is at the heart of what makes this day a day of great rejoicing. The resurrection of Jesus is so significant because the reality of death is so sure. Does that sound pertinent to our day today? Of course it does. COVID-19 doesn't make it any more true though than it was in 2018. It may feel a little bit more real in these days, but it holds the exact same amount of truth content and significance 
as it always has. Today, none of you feel the pressure to hit a grand slam of an Easter sermon. But you might be wondering, what's Andy going to say on this Easter? This Easter that feels so different from any other. Well, I don't have anything particularly new or, or flashy to say, if that's what you're looking for. I just want to say the same thing that the church has said since the first Easter. I want to tell you about Jesus. I want to remind you that there was a day, a real day in actual history, when Jesus of Nazareth, who had truly died, woke from death in a resurrected body, walked out of his borrowed tomb, and changed the world forever. I want you to know that Jesus can change your life for eternity. I want you to be reminded that the only hope any of us have in the face of death and judgment is to be found in Jesus. We often joke in the church that the right answer to any question is always Jesus. No matter what the question is, if you reply Jesus, you're probably correct. But as we consider Paul's questions from Romans 8, 31 through 39, we find that because Jesus is the answer to how we might be brought into a right relationship with God, he makes the answer to all of the questions in, these passage, in this passage, not Jesus, but in fact, nothing or no one. I want us to look at these questions, and, and as we do, I pray that it becomes clear that those who are found in Christ are eternally safe. Those who are found in Christ are eternally safe. And if that's the core truth of this passage, then our response should be to confidently rest in Jesus. Put those things together and we would say, those who are found in Christ are eternally safe. So confidently rest in Jesus. Look with me at Romans 8. And let's pick it up in verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Those who are found in Christ are eternally safe, so confidently rest in Jesus. In these days, it's no secret that the place we need to be right now is at home. Stay home, stay safe is the word of the day. 
as we all seek to limit our social interaction and stay home as much as possible, we're seeking to keep ourselves and others safe from an invisible virus. But a virus is not our only enemy in life. It's not the only thing that can harm us. It's not the only thing that can kill us. There are countless things that can kill us. My son has a, a love for insects, and he could tell you a good number of insects that could kill you. And that's just insects. And that's just thinking about our physical lives. What about those things that could crush you socially or economically or emotionally or spiritually? Considering everything that, that could be against us, the picture could look, it could look pretty bleak. But not for the believer in Jesus. Because verses 31 through 32 of our passage are clear. That in Christ, nothing and no one can stand against us. In Christ, nothing and no one can stand against us. Look at those verses again. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The first question in verse 31 sparks a question of our own. The question is, what then shall we say to these things? And the question we ask is, what are these things? They could be a reference to all the truths of chapter 8, these things. Or it could even be all the truths of chapters 1 through 8. At the very least, they take us back to the verse that we've been meditating on and that we read, Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And so we might ask, what do we say? What shall we say to the truth of that verse? The truth that for those who love God and are called according to, the, to his purpose. For those people, all things work together for good. What will be our response to the reality that the greatest events in our lives and the most heartbreaking events in our lives will all be turned for good, for our growth in Christ-likeness? Our response to that truth is to ask a question like, if God is for us, who could be against us? And then to confidently answer, nothing and no one, nothing and no one could be against us. The truth of Romans 8.28 lets us find a, a, that kind of an answer. It doesn't say that, that nothing can cause us pain or difficulty. Followers of Jesus suffer. But followers of Jesus, 2 Corinthians 4.8-9, are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Because nothing can stand against those who are in Christ. And nothing that happens can ultimately harm us. They can only make us more like Jesus. Looking back to verse chapter 8, verse 28, let's us answer verse 31's question, uh, with with the idea of that nothing and and no one can stand against us nothing and no one and not only does looking back help us answer that way but looking forward to verse 32 helps us answer that way as well because verse 32 reminds us that the father has already shown us the great with the greatest amount of certainty that he will stand with us and for us no matter what the world the flesh or the devil might throw at us it tells us that if he has given us his son, if he has sent Jesus to live and to die for us, then even when it, when it seems like all hell has broken loose, 
we know that nothing can stand against us to ultimately harm us. Now, if we're honest, sometimes we doubt that. Sometimes we struggle to believe it. But when we do, when we struggle to believe that nothing can stand against us and nothing can harm us, verse 32 tells us that we should look to the cross and that our doubts should fall apart in the light of God's love seen in his sending of Jesus. We can know that God will give us whatever we need to stand against whatever might come at us. Because he has sent the Son, we know that he will give us all things. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He's giving us, he's given us all that we need. Nothing can stand against us, because even the things that do stand against us are transformed for good. No one can stand against us, because the Father will freely give us everything that we need, just as he has already given us Jesus. The questions of, verse, of verses 33 and 34 get a little bit more specific about what might stand against us, but they are equally encouraging. They announce to us this truth, that in Christ, nothing and no one can condemn us. In Christ, nothing and no one can condemn us. Look at them again. Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. The two questions of verses 33 and 34 are scary ones. Because if we're honest, our hearts would answer that anything or anyone could bring a charge against us. Anything or anyone could condemn us. My wife, my children, my parents, friends, co-workers, acquaintances, neighbors, strangers, our internet history, our tax record, our credit card statement, CCTV cameras, and all those secret recordings that Apple's pulling from your iPhone. Even our own conscience condemns us. Friends, anything and anyone can condemn us because none of us are perfect. We fail every day, whether in thought or in action. We all fall short of the glory of God. So how could we ever get to a place where we could say that nothing and no one can condemn us? Well, this is the place where the right answer is Jesus. But more specifically, we could answer with Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verses 33 and 34 answer by saying that, that God justifies those who have faith in Jesus. God makes us right before God because of what Christ has done. And because for those who have faith in Christ, we are in him in all that he has done. Why can nothing and no one condemn us? Verse 34. First, because Christ has died. Nothing and no one can condemn us because Christ has died. Because Jesus, in his death, died for us. He paid our penalty in full, and there is no penalty left to be paid for those who are in Christ. Secondly, because Christ is risen. Why can nothing condemn us? Because Christ is risen. Because God the Father raised up the Son because he had paid the penalty for our sins completely. As Peter said on the day of Pentecost, death could not hold him. Death had no right over him. And for those of us who are in Christ, death has no right to claim us. Because Jesus, who is our Savior, who rose from the dead, 
claims us as his own. Third, we see because Christ has died, because Christ has risen, and finally nothing and no one can condemn us because Christ has ascended and is interceding for us. John tells us in 1 John 2, 1, that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And Jesus himself intercedes for us. As Moses, we see in the Old Testament, interceded for the Israelites so many times. His, his blood speaks a better word. His blood says to the Father over and over again, forgive them, forgive them, forgive them. Why? Because they're in me, he says. They have died with me. They have been raised with me. They have been justified and they will be glorified. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are eternally safe from condemnation for our sin because of what Christ has done and because by faith we are in him. Philippians 3, 9. We are found in him, not having a righteousness of our own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. On our own, we're stuck in Adam. In an Adam, all die. But if we are in Christ, we can be confident that in Christ, all will be made alive. We can sing with Wesley, no condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness, divine, bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. You can sing that if you are in Christ. But if you're not in Christ, then you must fear condemnation. And you must know that all hell could stand against you. You have no hope if you are without God in this world. But know this, the hope that Christ offers is a hope that can be ours, not through what we do, but through what Christ has done. It is the hope of being in Christ through faith, not through works. It's the hope of believing in the work that he has accomplished on our behalf and in our place. And if we admit our sinfulness, if we admit that we deserve eternal condemnation for our sins, and we trust that Christ has taken that on himself in his death, and that he has conquered sin and death and hell in his resurrection, then we are placed in Christ, and nothing and no one can ever stand against us or condemn us. Are you in Christ? If you're in Christ, then know that those who are found in Christ are eternally safe. Therefore, we can confidently rest in Jesus. But here's a scary question. What if we're no longer in Christ? Meaning, what if something takes us out of Christ? Is there anything strong enough to rip us from the place of eternal safety that we're in through faith in Christ? Paul seemed to have that question in mind in verses 35 through 39. And the answer he gives us there is this. Nothing and no one can separate us from Christ. Nothing and no one can separate us from Christ. In Christ, we are eternally safe. And if we are truly in Christ through faith, then we are, are, we are eternally safe from, being, from ever being separated from Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that things won't try to rip us from Christ. It doesn't mean that we won't face hardship 
that makes us feel like we're being ripped from God's very hands. In fact, Paul seems to say in verse 35 that such hardship is something that followers of Jesus face every day. And in a collective sense, we do. We are slaughtered for the name of Christ daily. We face difficulty and hardship. We face forces, visible and invisible, that war against our souls. But none of them can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Did you notice that? It's not simply that nothing can separate us from Christ, but nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. It bookends that, that section there, beginning in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And verse 39, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a beautiful thought that it's not just that we can't be separated from Christ in some sort of legal sense, but that there's a relationship. There's a deep relationship and nothing can take us away from the love of God in Christ. As we think about that kind of relational love, we might think about the, the purest form of love we know. And, and that is probably the, the love of a mother for a new baby. Nothing, it would seem, could separate a new mom from her child. I think Isaiah knew that truth too, because he writes this word from the Lord in Isaiah 49, 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child or lack compassion for the son of her womb? The implied answer, of course, is no. But then the Lord says this, though she may forget, I will not forget you. That's what Paul's trying to say when he writes, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Those who are found in Christ are eternally safe. In Christ, nothing and no one can stand against us. In Christ, nothing and no one can condemn us. And hold on to this too. Nothing and no one can ever separate us from the love of Christ. Brothers and sisters, no matter what comes at us in life, even if it's death itself, we can confidently rest in Jesus, the Son of God who lived, who died, and who is alive forevermore. All glory to Jesus the risen King over all. Let's pray together. Lord, what a beautiful passage that you've given us here in Romans 8. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this word. Thank you for the confidence that we have, not on our own, but the confidence we have in Christ, that no one can stand against us, that no one and nothing can condemn us not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done and continues to do for us as he intercedes for us. 
And thank you, Lord, that, that your love is not fickle. It's not something that you give and take away. It's something that when you, you give it to us in Christ, we are, we are in him and nothing will ever separate us from your love. We are always your children. We are always safe in you. Lord, I pray in the midst of a time where people feel unsafe, in the midst of a time where we're just not sure what's going on, that we would confidently rest in you, that we would know that our eternal souls are safe in Jesus because of his death, because of his resurrection. And Lord, that we would live in this world with that kind of confidence and not just live with it ourselves, but that we would spread it to others. We would help them to know that they too can know this hope of having no condemnation, this hope of having nothing that can stand against them, this hope that there is a love in Christ that we can never be separated from. Fill our hearts with, with joy this day and fill our mouths with this good news. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.